Welcome to the Christ the King podcast. I am Pastor Michael McGinley of Christ the King Lutheran Church right here in Spencer, Iowa, and we are a congregation of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod coming to you on this, the 20th of February, to celebrate Sexagesima Sunday, that is, the Sunday within 60 days of Easter, or we could say Scripture Alone Sunday, or the Sunday of the Parable of the Sower. Now, as we have been doing lately, we start today with a bit of Divine Service Catechesis, where we look at today the sermon, what's called the Votum, and the Offering. We're a few weeks behind where we have it on the Congregation at Prayer, but you can find these on the Congregation at Prayer from January 30th and February 6th. Now, in the Divine Service, within the Office of the Word, after the Introit, Gloria, Salutation, Lessons, the Creed, comes the sermon and the votum. Before the sermon, of course, there is the hymn of the day, which is meant to prepare the hearts of the hearers to receive what will be said in the sermon. And the hymn of the day really drives home the main thought of the day from the gospel and all the readings. Now, many people have many ideas about what a sermon is or should be. But do note that the sermon is not meant to be a self-help talk, or a pep talk, or a means of entertainment. The sermon is simply the explanation and application of the Word of God which has been read that day in the lessons, especially the Gospel. If a preacher, of course, were to preach on a scripture passage that wasn't read that morning, it would go outside of the flow of that service, of all the passages read that day, and would probably cause lots of confusion for the people in the pews. And as the sermon is applying the word of God to the people that day, Luther says that what is preached is God's own word speaking to that congregation through the pastor. So if a pastor is faithful in preaching the text before him, then what is in the sermon are God's words to us today by ways of law and gospel. Now, at the end of every sermon, you may notice that most pastors end their sermons by saying, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These words, at the end of every sermon, we call the votum. If you look in the hymnal, every sermon is supposed to end with this votum. Now, these words come from Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And it serves as the benediction after the sermon, so that every believer that it's hearing the sermon, when they hear these words at the end, they're assured that the, peace of God, that the peace of God they have in Christ has been given to them in the preached word. They can be assured of that. The preached word given to them to keep their hearts and minds in the faith until life everlasting. The votum is to show us and to bless us so that the preached word sustains us week in and week out in this earthly life. Now, in the divine service, right after the sermon, is what's called the offertory, which we sing, and then the offering. The offertory and the offering are our offerings to God in sacrifice of praise, singing, giving the fruits of our labors to God from what he has given and blessed to us. When the faith is sowed, as it is in the sermon and the readings, Fruit always follows. The fruit of faith always follows. This fruit of faith, or our works of praise, 
We don't do these for our salvation, but they spring from our salvation, from our faith. This fruit of faith is simply the result. It's the result in the nature of the sanctified life. The offertory that we sing is evidence that the word has become effective in us. If we're praising God right after the sermon, that's the word of God working in us. And then the offering. And in our times, the offering is usually given in in money, in the collection plates, as the fruit of our labors there in the plate, is us giving of ourselves back to God. If you notice, when the pastor takes the offering plate, most pastors usually put it on the altar once he receives it to show that now saved, we give ourselves back to God. We give our sacrifices of praise and the fruit of our labors to him so that when he puts the plate on the altar, he's putting us, giving ourselves to God, there on the altar to God. Not for our salvation, but as a result of our salvation. However, we know God does not need our money or the fruits of our labors. He doesn't get hungry. Money does him no good. He's all-powerful. Rather, we give these to God in order to love our neighbor, so that with these gifts we can pay the pastor his humble wages. We can support the church and her ministry and keep the lights on. We give this money so we can help the poor, for the fatherless and the widow, for missions and education and others in need. The offering is not the church being greedy, asking for money. That's what some believe. That's not what it is. Instead, the offering is to allow the faith, which has just been nourished by the word, is to allow the faith to bring its fruits to God and to watch as he cares for his church with these fruits of the saints. That's what the offering is. An opportunity for the word that was preached to be effective in the hearers. To not have the offering would be to like keep an apple tree from giving apples. It's to fight the nature of the tree itself. It's to fight the nature of faith itself. And we don't want to do that in the service. We want faith to come to fruition, start to come to fruition. And that's what the offering is. Well, that's all for the Divine Service Catechesis this week. Let's now turn to our Matin service with the hymn of invocation, Speak, O Lord, Your Servant Listens.
O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Praise to thee, O Christ, King of eternal glory. Christ, for our sakes, hath endured temptation and suffering. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Ever shall be world without end. Amen. Christ, for our sakes, hath endured temptation and suffering. O come, let us worship him.
Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Arise for our help. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days, in the times of old. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them. How thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. But thou hast saved us from our enemies, and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long, and praise thy name forevermore. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever, for our soul is bowed down to the dust. Arise for our help. The Old Testament lesson for Sexagesima Sunday is written in the 55th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, beginning at the 10th verse. For as the rain comes down and the snow from the sky, and doesn't return there, but waters the earth, and makes it grow and bud, and gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing I sent it to do. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth out before you into singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn, the cypress tree will come up, and instead of the briar, the myrtle tree will come up. It will make a name for the Lord, for an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. The Epistle is written in the 11th and 12th chapters of the second epistle to the Corinthians, beginning at the 19th verse. Brothers, for you bear with a foolish gladly, being wise. For you bear with a man if he brings you into bondage, if he devours you, if he takes you captive, if he exalts himself, or if he strikes you on the face. I speak by way of disparagement, as though we had been weak. Yet in whatever way anyone is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as one beside myself. I am more so. In labors more abundantly. In prisons more abundantly. In stripes above measure. And in deaths often. Five times I received forty stripes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. I have been a night and a day in the deep. I have been in travels often. Perils of rivers. Perils of robbers. Perils from my countrymen. Perils from the Gentiles. Perils in the city. Perils in the wilderness. Perils in the sea. Perils among false brothers. In labor and travail in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and in cold and nakedness. 
Besides those things that are outside, there is that which presses on me daily, anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is caused to stumble? And don't I burn with indignation? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that concern my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forevermore, knows that I don't lie. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratos guarded the city of Damascus, desiring to arrest me. I was let down in a basket through a window by the wall and escaped his hands. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast, for I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven fourteen years ago. Whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows. I know such a man, whether in the body or outside the body, I don't know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. On behalf of such a one, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in my weaknesses. For if I would desire to boast... I will not be foolish, for I speak the truth, but I refrain, so that no man may think more of me than that which he sees in me or hears from me. By reason of the exceeding greatness of the revelations, that I should not be exalted excessively, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, that I should not be exalted excessively. Concerning this thing, I begged the Lord three times that it might depart from me. He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest on me. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. Let thy enemies know that thou whose name alone is Yahweh, art the most high over all the earth. O my God, make them like a wheel, as the stubble before the wind. O God, Thou hast cast us off, Thou hast scattered us, Thou hast been displeased, O turn Thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble, Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh that thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand, and hear me. The Holy Gospel is according to St. Luke, the eighth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When a great multitude came together, and people from every city were coming to Jesus, he spoke by a parable. The farmer went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the road, and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock, and as soon as it grew, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Other fell amid the thorns, and the thorns grew with it, and choked it. Other fell into the good ground, and it grew, and produced one hundred times as much fruit. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, What does this parable mean? He said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of God's kingdom, but to the rest in parables, that 
seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those along the road are those who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are they who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But these have not root, who believe for a while, then fall away in time of temptation. That which fell among the thorns, these are those who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Those in the good ground, these are those who, with an honest and good heart, having heard the word, hold it tightly, and produce fruit with perseverance. Here ends the gospel. Praise be to thee, O Christ. The Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. These three Sundays before Lent, called pre-Lent, they're interesting. They're unique to our one-year lectionary. They're not in the three-year lectionary so many of our brother Christians use. So why celebrate these three Sundays? Do we do it for the funny Greek names, sexagesima? Or is it so Pastor can show off his Greek-speaking skills by saying quinquagesima? <laughs> well, it's none of that, really. Rather, pre-Lent is a time of preparation for Lent. Within the scriptures, Christ tells his disciples to consider the costs of picking up our crosses and following him. Because to follow Christ is to forsake and deny everything. That's why Christ says, Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it, so says our Lord. To forsake all and lose our lives for Christ's sake, those aren't mere words. Those are words that demand meditation. They demand we sit down and count the cost of what it means to forsake all and lose our lives, especially to count the cost before we enter the deep penitential season of Lent, that time of the church year where we focus on following our Lord to Golgotha. Because Christ warns, those who do not forsake all, who do not lose their lives for his sake, they cannot be his disciples, which means they can't call God Father. So this, all of this is what pre-Lent is for. It's for sitting down and counting the costs. But we don't do that unless we know how the gospel, how the kingdom of God actually operates. And that's what these Sundays tell us. They tell us that the kingdom of God operates by grace alone which we heard last week with Pastor Bomer, by faith alone, which we'll hear next week, and finally by the word of God alone, which Christ and Paul speak of today. And St. Paul says to the Corinthians, For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourself. 
For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. So says St. Paul. You see, in Corinth, false teachers had entered into the church, and in order to get the Corinthian church to follow them, the false teachers had to talk themselves up, brag about themselves, while they, while they disparaged Paul. What the false teachers had done was they had convinced the churchgoers of Corinth to stop listening to the word which Christ gave to Paul. What the false teachers did was they made the Corinthians feel wise in themselves and to go with that human wisdom instead of the word of God. And while the Corinthians felt wise in themselves, here they had allowed the false teachers to enslave them in false teaching. They had allowed the false teachers to devour them in a divided church to take advantage of them in devious ways, no doubt taking their money. And in the end, they allowed the false teachers to abuse them. So Paul says he was far too weak to turn from the scriptures and let anyone treat him like that. Paul's words here drip with sarcasm. Yet if the false teachers wanted to brag of themselves and speak at how much better they were than Paul, well, Paul was up for playing this game. Even though he says it was nothing but foolishness to brag about himself. Game on. Paul says, bring out the tape measure. Let's go ahead and see who measures up greater. That's why St. Paul says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. I am a better one, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. So says Paul. As the false teachers boasted of themselves, Paul is more than happy to compare himself to them. After all, he measures up to them in being a Hebrew, and an Israelite, and an offspring of Abraham, Paul and the false teachers stack up about the same there. But when it comes to being a servant of Christ, which both the false teachers and Paul claim to be, Paul says here that he stacks up far better than them. He has more to brag about. And why? Because while the false teachers live comfortably in their false teachings, see what being a servant of Christ has cost Paul. Great labors, hard work, imprisonment being beaten, being surrounded by death and probably close to death himself. In short, the false teachers are those whom did not count the costs and they weren't willing to pay the costs. These false teachers were Jews who had heard the word of the gospel. They had. They heard the word of Christ and the apostles. But the word fell on the false teachers who were like the path that Christ describes. The seed of the word falls on them falls on their ears, but it just stays there. So that the devil comes in, swoops in, snatches the word away from their hearts, and instead leaves his seed of false teachings. Among the false prophets, the word is trampled underfoot as they come and go spreading their poisonous seed. And all those in Corinth who followed these false teachers, including all today who follow such 
false teachers and false gospels because they're still around. All of them are also like the path who have the word snatched from them quickly. With such people, there is no counting the cost. There is no listening to Christ's teaching. For Christ's word never comes near their hearts. Now Paul, he thinks all this bragging and self-aggrandizing is foolish and worthless. But he's on a roll. He doesn't want to stop quite yet. So Paul goes on. He continues what he's been through. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews... 40 lashes less one, which is about 195 lashes if you're counting. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. (laughs) Look at that list. Paul has everything to brag about over the false teachers. The false teachers could speak of their grand heritage of being Israelites or the seed of Abraham. They could talk of living lives of luxury and ease. That's how they prove their worth, because they were rich or they took advantage of other people for money. But how many of these false teachers could say that they suffered, small or great, from dangers because of what they taught? Likewise for the churchgoers of Corinth. How many of them turned away from the word of God because they felt pressure from others to do so, to follow the false teachers? How many turned away from the word just so they could stop the infighting in the congregation, just to make peace? And here again, the false teachers and those who followed them are the same. All of them, they want glory from men. And any that were faced with any any type of suffering, great or small, for the gospel, they quickly left the word. They never allowed the word then to take root because they didn't count the cost. They didn't want to pay the price. They were the rocky soil. They heard the word. They received it with joy, but without any true root. The moment things became difficult, they were swept away. They fell away. With such people, when there's no true root of the gospel there, There is no counting the cost. There is no listening to Christ's teachings. For Christ's word never took root. There is nothing to hold them there. But Paul, of course, he isn't finished yet. He goes on even even further. He says that he, he taught the gospel in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, that is nakedness from his clothes being so worn. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? Here Paul goes further than the false teachers could ever hope to go. Here, if we had a tape measure to measure, Paul would be beyond measure compared to the false teachers For Paul didn't chase the cares of the world. If he was chasing the cares of the world, then he wouldn't have taught the gospel through sleeplessness, hunger, and thirst. Paul didn't chase the riches and pleasures of this life. In fact, he often preached the gospel without food, without drink, in the cold, 
suffering from nakedness from his clothes being so worn. Paul didn't seek for himself. He taught the gospel as he was anxious for those he loved, for the churches. Look at all that Paul endured here in this list. And you want to call him weak? That's fine. A man who endured so much would probably feel weak. You would want to say that he falls and stumbles? That's fine. After all, the false teachers gave him plenty of reason to be indignant. But again, Paul is bragging against the false teachers. Compare him to those. Compare him to the false teachers who enslaved, devoured, took advantage of, and abused the people of Corinth with their false teachings as they talked up not Christ but themselves. These false teachers didn't love the Corinthians. They despised the Corinthians as they took advantage of them and pursued the cares and riches and pleasures of this life for themselves, not the Corinthians. The fruit from their teachings is not mature. The the fruit of the teachings of the false teachers is rotten. And they and the Corinthians who followed them were like the soil with thorns. They proclaimed the word, maybe even... The word has grown a bit in their soil. But they're quick to let, the, to let the word die, to be choked out with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And that's what's happened. The word's been choked out as they chase the cares, pleasures, riches that they see that they can obtain with their false teachings. And so Paul is telling them, Do you and the false teachers want to brag? Fine, let's brag. Where among the false teachers and their followers is the word? That's really what Paul is asking here. Where among you is the word? Where is the growth of the word? Where is the the mature fruit from the growing of the word? Because among the false teachers, all we see is the word being trampled underfoot, not taking root, being choked out. Of course, Paul, by comparison, has endured much, so his life is not the road much traveled. His life, his heart, is one where the dangers have plowed out the rocks from his soil. His sufferings have removed the thistles and thorns which would choke out the word from his heart. So much so much did the word of God grow in the soil of St. Paul's heart that he was even carried away to the, to the third heaven. He was carried away into paradise where he heard and saw things which are impossible for men to utter in this world. Compare the soil of Paul's heart to the soil of the false teacher's heart or the Corinthians' heart who turned away from the word. In their heart, the word could never take root, or the word was suffocated. In Paul's heart, the word grew taking him away to the third heaven, to paradise. For the gospel, the false teachers and their followers, they haven't counted the costs. They weren't willing to pay the costs. They refused. But Paul, he has counted the costs. Look at all he endured, and he still clung to the gospel. And if he wanted to, Paul would have plenty of reason for bragging. He'd have plenty of reason for showing his own works and his own sufferings as reason for why the Corinthians should listen to him and not to the false teachers. After all, look at all the mature fruit which was produced from Paul's heart. Why, he could brag all day and all night about all these sufferings and works. 
But he says all of it is foolishness. It's worthless to brag. So he doesn't brag. Instead, he says, Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from from it, from boasting, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger, or you could say an angel of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So says St. Paul. Here is the heart of Paul, the good soil. In this good soil is the seed of the word and the growth of that seed, again, which has reached the third heaven. But in this good soil is also a thorn, a weed, a messenger or fallen angel of Satan, which keeps harassing the good soil and the plant that's there. That Paul should not boast of his heart being the good soil. Here is this demonic torment which he cannot rid himself of, which he has cried out to God three times to remove from him. What's our Lord's answer when, our, when Paul begs the Lord to remove this thorn, this thistle? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. As if the Lord were to say, my grace will continue to weed this thorn out of you. But as long as you need to continue being weeded, you will keep coming back to me. And in that, my power will be completed in you. For all the mature fruit that has been produced in the good soil of Paul's heart, none of that fruit could remove the thorn from him. None of that fruit could stop the torment. His only hope was in the power of Christ to rest upon him. Now why is that? It's because while Paul suffered beatings and lashings and separate and shipwreck, it was Christ who suffered the lashings and the pierced hands and feet and the abandonment of his closest friends at the abyss of the cross. While Paul went through sleepless nights and journeys and dangers and was surrounded by death, it was Christ who journeyed from heaven to earth in humility, who had nowhere in this wicked world to place his head, to rest his head, and who took up the punishment of the cross, the guilt and punishment of our sin. It was Christ who thirsted for the entire cup of wrath, which we deserved, which he drank. It was Christ who died in our sin, having become sin for us. While it was Paul who was carried away to the third heaven and paradise, it was Christ who rose again for our justification, and it was Christ who, in our flesh and blood, ascended through endless ranks of angels to sit at the right hand of the Father. And where Paul heard things he could not utter, there Christ speaks words to advocate for us before the Father. While Paul was tormented by a messenger of Satan who was a thorn in his side, it was Christ who wore the crown of thorns on his head. He wore the curse of man on his head. 
as he crushed the devil's head. As we count the cost and prepare for Lent, we see that this is the end of our journey. The end of our journey is at the cross, where Christ's heel crushes the devil's head on Good Friday. The end of our journey is at the empty tomb on Easter morning, where Christ was arisen. The end of our journey is at the ascension, where Christ advocates for us before the Father in our flesh. It is at our resurrection, that's the end, where the power of Christ will remove the thorns and sinful flesh from us and will be completed, where the power of Christ will be completed in us when we arise with him, perfect bodies, perfect souls. But all of this happens not by our own sufferings, not by our fastings, not by our own good works or almsgiving, not because of the sincerity, length, or earnestness of our prayers, none of that. All of this happens, rather, by the word. For it is the word of God which leads us to fast and confess our sins, so that the soil of our heart is cleared of rocks and thorns. It is the word of God which is planted in us, And it is the word of God alone which grows the root so we may endure dangers and sufferings. And it is the word of God alone which produces the mature fruit of almsgiving, charity, and prayer. It is the word alone. But notice what the word does to the soil. It removes everything in our hearts and lives so that the word alone remains, so that all is forsaken and the word alone remains. After all, consider that. What is good soil but soil that has nothing remaining in it, that has been denied itself? The good soil has nothing in it except for the seed which takes root and grows. And that the seed can take root and grow and produce fruit, even while being tormented by a thorn. That is Christ's power. So today we count the costs. Do we want to boast of our rocks and thorns of our lives like the false teachers? Of the rocks and thorns which will enslave us, abuse us, and rob and choke out the word from us? Or are we willing to refrain from boasting in all our sufferings and works, as St. Paul does, in order to deny ourselves, to forsake everything, to give up our life for Christ's sake, so that the rocks and thorns, everything in our lives, may be removed, and so that the seed of the word alone They remain to give mature fruit. Let us count the costs. Let us deny ourselves and take up our crosses after Christ. May we embrace the word alone, so we may die and rise with him alone. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. When much people were gathered together unto Jesus, and were come to him out of every city, he spake a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us, that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him 
all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. When much people were gathered together unto Jesus, and were come to him out of every city, he spake a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. O God, who sees that we do not put our trust in anything that we do, mercifully grant that by your power we may be defended against all adversity. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will 
Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishment, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, Help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise, and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.
For all those listening near or far, thank you for joining us this morning. We pray this prayer service may enhance your devotion and prayers at home and be a blessing to you throughout this week as you look to go to church this coming Sunday. We'll be back next week to celebrate Quinquagesima Sunday, or this, also known as the Sunday 50 days before Easter. Exactly, 50 days before Easter. Also known as the Sunday of the Healing of the Blind Man. We encourage all of our listeners to look us up on Facebook under Christ the King Lutheran Church or CTK Spencer. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, tell a friend, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listened. If you would like to be on our mailing list for the podcast or want to leave feedback, you can contact us on Facebook or at the email addresses listed at the top of the bulletin. That's all for this week. Until next time, go forth and serve the Lord. I am Pastor Michael McGinley, signing off.